Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Well, good morning, Mercy Church. How are we doing? It is good to see you. I want to just take a moment, uh, introduce myself. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. It is really good uh, to be with you this morning. I also wanted to take a moment uh, and just thank our band. If we could just thank our band this morning for leading us in worship. Um, Lauren is such a gift uh, to our church. Uh, I think if the... uh, Angels in heaven who sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts ever needed to take a break. I think Lauren would be a good, you know, she would fit in nicely. Uh, I also didn't know, uh, where is uh, Zach? There you are. Zach, I didn't know you had moves like that, man. I didn't know you had moves. The guitar was gone. And you were like, you know, Bruno Mars of Christ up here. So it was great. Uh, man, it is good. Uh, it is good to be with you this morning. Um, I'm so excited for the book of John. I'm so excited because I think that this gospel is an important one. All of them are important, but this one is unique. Last week, Dr. Kruger came, and he's the president of the Reformed Theological Seminary here in town, and he gave us an overview of the book of John, and it was really helpful. Um, If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, go ahead and listen to that later on today or this week. Um, One of the points that Dr. Kruger mentioned was that the book of John was the most plain gospel. It was the most plain gospel. By plain, he didn't mean simple. He didn't mean that the book isn't rich with theological depth. No, it is quite the opposite. What he meant was that the purpose of the book of John is made plain to us by John. The purpose of the book of John, the reason John penned this book, was so that we would believe upon Christ. That we'd believe in the person of Jesus, who he was, and in the life of Jesus, his work on earth. John wants us to believe in Jesus. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus this morning, I want you to know right out of the gate, if a friend brought you here this morning and you showed up, you thought they were taking you to Bojangles, but you ended up here for some reason. (laughs) Your friend brought you here because they want you to know Jesus. Now, you might feel, ah, that's kind of weird. No, no, no. Listen. Listen to what's happening there. Your friend, Jesus, most likely, if they had the bravery to invite you, Jesus is the most important thing in their life. He's the most important, the most intimate, the most mind-blowing thing in their life, and all they know to do is to bring other people to help know Jesus like they do. So don't be weirded out by that. That means they're a good friend. And my fear for those of you that don't know Jesus is that you would reject Jesus without even investigating who he said he was. I think the temptation for many of us is to believe what maybe we've heard from our friends or to believe what 
our professor said in college or to believe what our favorite podcaster said. No, no, no. I want to beg you this morning, if you're going to reject Jesus, may it be because you don't believe in what he said he was, that he was the son of God and that he came to rescue us from our sin. And then there's also those of us who do know Jesus and we've been following him for a while And my prayer for you is that your view of Christ deepens in this series. I pray that you're blown away by the beauty and the majesty and the intimacy of Christ again. Why? Because maybe you've forgotten. Maybe you have forgotten. We are so quick to forget, aren't we? We are so quick to forget who Jesus is, what he did, Church, we can't forget. We have to fight to remember every day. One of my friends told me this five years ago. He was a college student at the time. But here's what he said. He said, the first thing I believed when I became a Christian was the gospel. And come to find out, the first thing I forget as a Christian is the gospel. And when that happens, it leads us to our minds just go astray and we forget Christ often altogether And I pray that this series will set your heart and your mind ablaze for the things of God. That Jesus loves you, he cares for you. So followers of Jesus, let us collectively remember again. Let John 3.16, that forever like memorable verse, like stick out deeply in your heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only son, That whoever believes on him will not perish. Oh, but we'll have eternal life. That's why we entitled this series, For God So Loved, blank. It's even on your notebooks. If you have that notebook, just hold it up in the air. Hold it up in the air real quick. That ain't in the air. Hold it up in the air. (laughs) Write your name on it. Write your name there. For God so loved you. Or write your friend's name on it. For God so loved Susie or or Aaron, whoever. God loves us. We know that because he came for us. Church, we're about to get in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. But before we do, I need to pray. And I need to ask God for help. Will you pray with me? Father, we need you this morning. Lord, this is a mountain of a text. God, we need your help to understand it. And we need your help to understand its implications in our lives. Christ, we love you. And we commit this time to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so this sermon, uh, or this, this uh, we're going to be in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. You'll turn there with me. Like I said, this is a mountain of a text. There is a sermon in every verse, it seems like. Uh, so what we're going to do, I'm going to break it down for you. Um, so we, I will start in verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to mine the gold in those verses. And then we'll go to verses 4 through 5, because it shows the implications of the first three verses on our lives. Make sense? So what I kind of want you to see is that verses 1 through 3 is kind of like a theology in the air. 
Okay, it's like a theology in the air, and verses four through five is like a theology on the ground. We're going from abstract to intimate. Make sense? From abstract to intimate. We're going to look at this big God, and then look at what this big God came to do. Y'all ready? All right, I'm going to read verses one through three. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. This is the Word of God. The first thing that we are going to see that I think John wants us to see in this passage, pretty simply, is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. So if you're doing some general observations of the text, one of the good things to do is to see if there's any repeated phrases or words. And right here, the thing that's repeated a number of times is the word, right? It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now this reads a little bit weird, doesn't it? It's kind of a strange way uh, to start a book, um, Quick context moment, the first 16 verses of chapter 1 are the prologue, meaning that it's introducing in part what the whole book is going to contain. And off of the bat, John starts with this weirdly phrased statement. Well, it might sound foreign to us and a little bit weird, but that's because most of us are Gentiles and not from a Jewish heritage. To the original audience who is hearing and reading this, the start of this book would have been very familiar to them but with a little bit of a twist. This would have reminded John's Jewish audience, and you, if you've read the book of Genesis, it should sound somewhat familiar to you. In the very first verse of the Bible, if you'll flip over with me to Genesis chapter 1, let's hear those pages turning this morning. Genesis chapter 1, it says this in verse 1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, we have these two accounts, and they seem like they're talking about the beginning of the universe, the beginning of the world, the beginning of time. And in Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God. And in John, it says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Which begs the question, if the Word was there in the beginning, and the Word was God, who is the Word? Well, the Word is Jesus. And we know that because at the end of this prologue, it says that as much. Look, uh, flip down to verse 14. In John chapter 1, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God. And then it continues, We observed His glory, like we saw Him when He was here, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word here. Jesus is God, and he's been God from the very beginning. Now, I'm going to talk through these verses again, and as I do, I'm going to highlight uh, three things that John says about Jesus being God. We're going to see that Jesus is eternal. We're going to see that he's personal, and that Jesus is the creator. Those will come on the screen in a little bit. We're going to see that Jesus is eternal, he's personal, and he's the creator. 
And then after that, we'll see what this means for us. So, all right, back to verse one. In the beginning was the word. The first thing that we see here is that Jesus is eternal. He's eternal, meaning that he is without a beginning or an end. And you might have noticed that uh, at the beginning of the gospel, uh, John didn't start with Jesus' birth, which is interesting because other gospels, like Matthew and Luke's gospel, start with the birth of Jesus, but not John. John starts by saying that Jesus is God and that he's eternal. Uh, In other gospels, they're highlighting the humanity of Christ first. That's where they start. He was a man born of God, right? You know, he was born of a virgin, but you know, they, they, they did that to show us that in order for our sins to be forgiven, there needed to be a perfect human sacrifice. Jesus needed to be a man and he needed to be sinless in order to die on a cross for the, for, as a sacrifice for our sin. But John, on the other hand, he starts differently. He starts with the fact that Jesus is God, and he's been God from the very beginning. In order to show that Jesus was God, John had to go all the way back to eternity past. He's always existed. He was never created. He's always been God and always will be God. If a time machine were created and we hit the rewind button to go all the way back to the beginning uh, of the universe, Jesus was there. And not only that, if we were rewind to the, in this time machine and even go back further to the beginning of time, we would never reach it. You know, I, I'd assume, I'm not a you know, scientist or whatever, but, but, but a physicist, I'm, I'd assume you'd just stay in limbo for all of eternity because he has always existed. In fact, Jesus even said this about himself in John 17, verse 5. He said, now, Father, he's talking to God the Father. He's talking to him. He's praying. And he said, glorify me in your presence. With that glory I had with you before the world even existed. Now, why is this important? If he is eternal, then we can trust that he's all-powerful and infinitely wise. Many of us struggle to trust God and his purposes for us, or some of us struggle with God's timing. He's not doing what I want when I want it. Well, if God is eternal and ultimately wise, God sees the past, present, and future all at the same time, and all of human existence is under his providential rule. Now, some of you may respond with, okay, I get it, and I understand that, uh, at least in my head, but just because Jesus is eternal doesn't mean that I can trust him or even that he's good, right? Like, that that makes sense. Just because he's eternal doesn't mean that he's good. Okay, well, let's look at the second thing John wants to show us. We also see this in verse one. It says, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So we saw that Jesus is eternal, and now we see that Jesus is personal. And what I mean by personal is that Jesus is a person. God has eternally existed. We're going to talk about the Trinity for a moment. So strap your theology hats on for for a moment. God has eternally existed as one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, each of whom who share fully in the divine nature and are equal to each other in majesty and glory, yet distinct in personhood. Jesus is a person in the Trinity. 
He is part of the Godhead. And that's what theologians would call it in this text. Now, we only see two persons here. We see the Word being Jesus, and we see God the Father. Uh, the Holy Spirit was there in the beginning, uh, but he's just not mentioned right here in this, in this passage. Now, we know that he was there because we saw him hovering over the waters in the beginning of time. Uh, we also see that uh, in the beginning, out of the overflow of God's love, what did he do? He created Out of the overflow of his love, he created and he decided to put his love upon two human beings. He created Adam and he created Eve. He created a man and a woman. And look at what he says in Genesis 1.26. He said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. It said, let us, plural, make man, plural, in our image. This triune God has been there from the beginning... And we also get a peek right here into his character. Our God is a relational God. He's highly relational. The three persons of the Trinity have been in relationship with one another for all of eternity. And out of the overflow of God's love, he created humans in his image. We bear God's image so that we can glorify him on earth, yes, but maybe more importantly, to be in a personal relationship with a loving God that all he could do, because his character is love, is to create things to love. God is amazing. God wants a relationship with his creation. God has been loved for all of eternity. This has massive implications for our lives. We have a heavenly father who has eternally loved his son in the bond of the Holy Spirit, and God created us for him to lavish his love and grace upon us. That is awesome. Okay, so we see that Jesus is eternal. We see that he's personal, and now we're going to see what is described in verse 3. All things are created, were created through him. And apart from him, being the word, not one thing was created that has been created. Basically, he created absolutely everything. Jesus is the creator of everything. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first became a Christian, um, I don't know why, but I always had it that if any person, you know, in the Trinity was going to be the creator, it would have been God the Father, right? Like, I don't know, maybe, did you assume that as well? Yeah, so you did assume that. See, you know, we're, we're alike. Um, but that's not what this says. It says that all things were created through him, the word Jesus, and apart from him, not one thing was created. Now, to see this further, we can flip back to Genesis 1 again to the creation narrative, and we see that the word, Jesus, created everything, and we can see it here. Look at what it says in verse 3 of chapter 1. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 6, God said, let, uh, uh, let there be an expanse between the waters and the heavens. In verse 9, God said. Verse 11, God said. Verse 14, God said. Verse 20, God said. Verse 26, God said. The word of God spoke. Jesus spoke and everything was created. Now this narrative doesn't explain to us the how of creation. We don't know exactly how that happened. That's not the point of Genesis. Genesis is not a scientific book. The point of Genesis 1 isn't to explain a scientific fact, but rather a theological fact. 
God is the creator of the universe. Jesus is the creator of the universe. And John says that this, in fact, this creator was our Jesus. The apostle Paul also said that Jesus was the creator. Look at Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17. I love this passage. This passage is incredible. All right. I might yell at the end of it because it's so exciting. Uh, Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God the Father looks like, Jesus is the image of that. The firstborn of all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, just in case we were worried about the invisible things, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, basically anybody in charge, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. Yes. <laughs> that is awesome. He created the blue whale and the atoms in your body. He created the redwood trees and the flowers in our gardens. He created sunrises and sunsets, all pointing to his beauty and power and majesty. And one day, Jesus will be worshiped in heaven by the elders, casting their crowns before him in Revelation 4:11, saying, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Jesus is our creator and he is the sustainer of all things. He didn't just create us. He maintains us. He sustains us. That means that by his word, we are close enough to the sun, S-U-N, to stay warm, but not too far that we would freeze. God was intentional in the creation of the universe and he was intentional when he created you. He didn't just create the world and walk away. No, he's involved in everything. He knows all things that are happening in your life. He knows how you struggle. He knows the way your body works and shouldn't work and why it's broken the way that it is. He knows your family problems. He knows absolutely every single thing about who you are because he knows everything. That should bring us joy and it should bring us comfort. Okay, so that's the theology in the air, okay? Jesus is an eternal, personal creator God. We see that, but now we need to answer, why does that matter? Well, if Jesus wasn't God, if he wasn't eternal, if he wasn't personal, if he wasn't the creator, then he's not God, and verses four through five mean absolutely nothing. Verses four through five tell us why he came to earth. One through three show us that Jesus is God. Verses four through five show us why he came to earth. Let's read verses four through five. Ooh, baby. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Woo. 
is the second big idea for today. Jesus came to bring life and light into the world. Jesus came to bring life and light into the world. John mentions two things here, life and light. So let's start with life. What does it mean that he brings life? This means that he came to bring life to people who are spiritually dead. Remember the first five verses of John parallel the Genesis account. In Genesis 3, what we see in this story is Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. Jesus loved them, cared for them, provided everything for them. They lacked nothing. And they had a perfect, intimate relationship with God. God even walked in the coolness of the day with them. That's pretty cool. But then he warned them, because God is good, sometimes God gives us boundaries. He gives us boundaries for our protection. We view boundaries as God keeping us from good things that we would want. But in fact, God keeps us and protects us from things that may not be good for us. God did not want Adam and Eve to know evil. So he told them, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He warned them. We see this in Genesis 2, 16, 7. You are free to eat of any tree in the garden. And y'all listen, this wasn't just garden in your backyard. This was like you, you would have lacked nothing. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on that day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, if you go on and read, continue to read the story, what happened? They rebelled against God and they ate from it. And what you would have thought would have happened was the second it touched their mouth and they took a bite and they swallowed it, that they would have dropped dead. Did that happen? No. That's not what happened. You would have thought they would have physically dropped, their on, dropped dead on the spot. But what happened was something much worse. They didn't die physically, they died spiritually. Their relationship with God was severed. Their relationship with one, their unity amongst each other was severed. Creation was now broken, sin entered into the world. And what happened to them is true for every one of us who does not have a relationship with Christ. You are spiritually dead and your spiritual eyes are darkened. And we are the same as Adam and Eve. Every single one of us born, are born from our mothers physically alive, yet at the same time spiritually dead. And that's what Jesus came to save us from. Without Christ, we're spiritually dead and spiritually darkened. And we can only be made alive through saving faith in him. Look at Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5. It says this. And you, this is the testimony, by the way, if you want to know, if you're, if you're ever, if you're a Christian, and you're like, ah, my testimony is kind of boring. Uh-uh. Look at what it says here. Every single person that came to know Jesus, it is a miraculous work of God. Your testimony is not boring. Look at what it says here. And you... Speaking to Christians here, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. According to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, you know who that is? 
That's Satan. Uh Uh-oh. The spirit that is now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our thoughts, our flesh and our thoughts, and we're by nature children under wrath. So this is what happens when you're spiritually darkened. You just do what your flesh wants or whatever seems wise in your own eyes, not knowing that you're following a different world. And we're by nature children under the wrath, as others were also, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, you are saved by grace. In other words, in summation, Jesus came to give us life, to reconcile us with God, changing both our present condition and our future destination. By changing our present condition, this means that we're no longer the walking dead on earth. He saves us and immediately starts to change us to look, for us to look more like Jesus. He starts our spiritual growth, our sanctification. And not only that, he meets us in our mess wherever we are. Some of us think that when we, in order for me to give my life to Jesus, I'm all the way over here. Jesus is over here. I need to fix myself so that I can be ready to be with Jesus. No, Jesus meets you here. He meets you here and then he grows you into his likeness. He came to give us a vibrant personal relationship with our eternal personal creator God. But that's not only law, that's that's not it. He also came to bring us light. That life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Verse 5 shows us that Jesus brought life and light to the spiritually dead and to the spiritually darkened. That light metaphor may be a little bit different, but it, create, but it communicates the same idea. By bringing life, we needed to be saved from our sins. By bringing light, he saves us from the domain of darkness. When someone is in the domain of darkness, this means that this person wanders through life blind. Blind to the fact that there's a God who loves them, Chasing after pursuits, trying to fill a God-shaped hole in their hearts that only God can fill. They fill it with career, family, sex, uh, food, whatever it is, trying to fill whatever this need and this desire is. It's insatiable, can only be fulfilled by God, but we're blind to it. Ephesians 2 again says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And when you once walked according to the, powers, uh, the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that's now working in the disobedient, we all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts and were by nature children of wrath. Without Christ, what this is picturing here is spiritual darkness and the results of it. Hundreds of years ago, the prophet Isaiah talked about this. In verses 9, he said, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on the living, 
in the land of the darkness. And then Jesus said in John 8, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Without Christ, we are spiritually dead and spiritually darkened. With Christ, we are spiritually alive and spiritually enlightened. God is good. This is exactly what Jesus was telling Nicodemus later in the book of John. He told him, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus can tell you that we used to be blind. We tried to fulfill our desires with all sorts of things that the world offered, but it never satisfied. Then Jesus made us alive. We were saved from our sins, and he spiritually enlightened us. And he satisfies everything. Listen, if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, I want to speak to you for a moment. I'm going to end this service a little bit differently than we have ended services. Um, Jesus was crucified publicly for us. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to invite Christians and non-Christians alike. I want you to respond this morning. This may be the most important moment of your life. I I am dead serious. I want you to respond publicly this morning. I want to start with Christians in the room. Christians, I pray that this book, that this passage encourages you. But here's what I know. Some of you right now are struggling in your walk with Jesus. I've talked to many of you, and, and, and I know that, even, that you know that even though you gave your life to Jesus, you still struggle to believe whether or not God loves you. You still struggle, and it seems like a, a day-in, day-out struggle. You know, Jesus, he loves me, he loves me not, back and forth, over and over. Sometimes we can believe that when we put our faith in Jesus that we were justified, that we were saved. Yes, that's true, but that's only half the story. Christian, maybe you're only following part of who God is, that God is an eternal ruler, which is true. He is that, but he's also a good and loving father. He's also a good and loving father. Maybe this metaphor will help. Uh, This came from Michael Reeves, and here's what he said. Maybe your relationship with God feels more like a divine ruler who makes rules that you need to abide by and not break. You know, you can think of him like a divine police officer. You drive through life, and inevitably, you sin, and you get pulled over by the divine police officer. And there's two options for this police officer that he can give you. He can punish you by giving you a ticket, or he can let you go. Let's say he lets you go, and you drive away. Are you going to love the divine traffic police officer? No. You might feel grateful, but you certainly wouldn't love him. If all the divine police officer has to offer you is letting you off and counting you as a law-abiding citizen instead, gratitude is the most that you would feel. You wouldn't love him, and you certainly wouldn't give your life to follow him. And many of you are struggling to love God because you primarily view him as a ruler. He is that, but he is so much more. As we saw in this text today, he is eternal, he's personal, and he is a big creator God who loves you. 
and he cares for you. And when God looks at you, he sees you at the same way that he sees Jesus. Some of us think that, that it's us over here and that God the Father is angry up there and Jesus is standing between us and between the Father and saying, no, 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 he's okay, but you know, he's all right. And God's like, well, you, you better stay there. No, no, no. The wrath of God was satisfied. The wrath of God was satisfied. Jesus, when God looks at you, he looks at you the exact same way he looks at his son. And he loves you the exact same way. So here's what I want to do. Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. We're going to do something. Again, Jesus was crucified publicly. So I'm going to ask you to do something, Christian, right now, publicly. If you have struggled, let's say in the last three months, if you have struggled in the last three months to believe that God loves you and you've struggled with that staff, I know who you are, you, you better be up here, okay? Listen, if you have struggled at any point to believe that God loves you, I want you to come up front here right now and I want to pray over you. So come up front right now. Thank you, sister. Come on, come up front right now. If that has been you, I know this is different. This isn't what we do all the time here. But this is important. Jesus, the loving, eternal, personal creator God loves you. All right, here, as you're coming, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just place your hand on somebody next to you. And I want us to pray collectively together. I'm going to pray over us. I'm going to pray over you right now that you would believe that God loves you. Let me pray. Jesus, we know that you came to live the life that we could never live. Jesus, you came to live and to die a death that we deserve. And then you went to the cross and God the Father, you poured out all of your anger onto Jesus so that it would not be poured out on us. Jesus, you took all of that upon yourself. Why? Because of the great love with which he loved us, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It was Christ's joy to die for you, Christian. Lord, I pray Romans 8.15 that at salvation you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry Abba Father. We cry Daddy to you now. We love you Lord. The spirit testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children and if children also heirs and if heirs then co-heirs with Christ. Lord, I pray for these Christians as they walk away today. May they abide with you every day. May they spend time with you every day. May, you, may they be reminded of the gospel. May they rehearse it every single day. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, Christians, stay put. Stay put. Now, I'm going to talk to the person that does not know Jesus. Jesus came to die for you. He loves you. 
He cares for you. This is what he did. You've heard it, the gospel, the good news. He came to live a perfect life that you could never live. Die a death you deserve. He was put in a grave and he defeated death and sin. He came out of the grave defeating death and sin. Why? So that you could be reconciled to God. You've been spiritually dead, spiritually darkened. You know it. You're sitting in your seat or standing right now and you know something's got to change. So I want to pray right now that you would walk forward. If that's you, walk forward now. Jesus was crucified publicly so we can give our life to him publicly. If that's you, come right now. I know this is a big, I know this is, I don't know, a lot of people here, but, but come. Jesus wants you to come. Amen. All right, let me pray for you. Uh, Lord, we love you. God, we love you. We're thankful. If there is any person here that is giving their life to you this morning, God, I pray that you would meet them in this moment. That they would be reminded that their sins are forgiven. But not only are their sins forgiven, Lord, you have adopted them. And they are now a child of yours. Lord, I pray, God, that their life with you would be everything that you promised it would be. Lord, you did promise that we would suffer. You did promise that it would be difficult. But God, suffering minus you is horrible. Suffering with you, you make suffering matter. God, we love you. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. You, may be, you may go back to your seats as we begin to worship.